gracious and holy God of all people, we thank you and praise you for these stories that remind us of your sovereignty, your power over all the earth, even death. God, we pray that you would help us to hear anew your word to us today, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, again, happy Advent, church. It's a joy to be entering into this season of watching and waiting for the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Today is also the last Sunday in Native American Heritage Month, and though Thanksgiving is behind us, I continue to be grateful for the faithful resistance of indigenous peoples around the world who call us to take better care of the earth. I'm also grateful for the indigenous voices in scripture who have always been with us, calling us to exercise faithful resistance ourselves. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about faithful resistance, which is one thing we can do while we are waiting for Jesus to return. Today's Old Testament story is about three, what I think of as indigenous saints, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who faced death in a fiery furnace on account of faithfulness to the traditions of their ancestors. I doubt that these three have often been thought of as native peoples, but they probably did appear that way to the Babylonians who held them captive. Their story is set during what was known as the Babylonian exile, when a large empire, Babylon, had conquered a much smaller nation, the kingdom of ancient Israel, and the Babylonians had taken the best and brightest of the Israelites back to Babylon to serve them in their capital city. It's a bit like stories of colonialism from the 16th and 17th centuries when European empires conquered small nations in Africa and the Americas and brought back some slaves to places like London and Paris to serve in exile there. We may notice, for instance, that the three Hebrew natives in this story had names similar to natives in our part of the world with specific meanings. In North America, a lot of indigenous names are related to nature, like moon water or standing bear or even afraid of beavers. Well, among the Hebrew people, names were often about their devotion to God. Hananiah meant God is gracious. Mishael meant who is like God. Azariah meant God keeps him. But the Babylonian conquerors did not like those indigenous names. Perhaps first because they found them hard to pronounce. And secondly, perhaps because the colonizers had their own gods. So, in an attempt at forced assimilation, these three natives were given Babylonian names instead. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Which also had Babylonian meanings. For instance, Abednego meant servant of Nego, whoever Nego was. I imagine that the Hebrew captives did not like those names. Any more than Native Americans appreciated being given English names when as children, many of them were carted off to boarding schools in an attempt at forced assimilation. And that was just the beginning of their mistreatment. The Hebrew exiles were expected to dress like Babylonians and eat like Babylonians and pray like Babylonians. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah did what they could to maintain a sense of their own culture and identity in various ways, 
like eating vegetarian instead of taking part in the consumption of meat that was sacrificed to idols. But that had to be difficult. They lamented with the words of Psalm 137, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And yet they carried on as best they could. But then one day a law was passed that put these natives over the edge. It said that everyone had to bow down to a giant statue, likely made in the king's image, declaring himself sovereign over not just the Babylonians, but all of creation. Well, the Hebrews simply could not comply. This was too much. The law of Hebrew tradition was very clear. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, saith the Lord. Thou shalt not make idols or bow down to them. So these exiles, they could not, they would not submit. It wasn't just a matter of principle. It was their entire identity that was at stake. These natives would not be subdued in this way. When the king heard about the non-compliance of these three men, their civil disobedience, he was irate. He drew a line in the sand. Either assimilate fully or be thrown into the fire. So Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they chose the fire. They would rather die than become Babylonians. And we know the rest of the story. The three men were thrown into a superheated furnace, but instead of being burned up, the king himself saw these three natives walking around in the fire, accompanied by a mysterious divine being, a figure that the prophet Daniel called a son of man. This vision convinced the king that the Hebrew God was super powerful. So he reversed his law and declared instead that the God of Hebrews should be honored. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were spared and given promotions, and all was well, at least for a while. At least for these three Hebrew men. The resistance of these natives didn't necessarily solve the problem of their oppression, though. Their exile continued. The Hebrews were still servants of an evil foreign regime. They kept their Babylonian names. Later, their friend Daniel was also thrown to the lions under very similar circumstances. And yet, throughout all these trials, still the faith and identity of God's people was maintained. They remained committed to the God of their ancestors because the Son of Man was with them in that fire. God ensured that whether they lived or whether they died, they would not perish but have everlasting life. This became the vision that sustained the people as strangers in a strange land. And later, even when they returned home, they continued to maintain through faithful resistance a conviction that the Most High God was with them in all things, working for their liberation and flourishing 
Now today, we Christians, we are a people who have been grafted into this ancient, once indigenous tradition. We too are sustained by a vision of the Son of Man standing in the fire alongside those who are persecuted on account of their resistance to empire. During Advent in particular, we remember how Christ Jesus came into the world as a child of a poor family who spent time as a refugee in Egypt and was under constant pressure to assimilate to the ways of the Greeks and Romans, the empires of his time. Our Lord was also a homeless man, pushed to the margins in his people's ancestral land, put to death because he also would not conform to the ways of Caesar or Herod or Pontius Pilate. And in rising again, Jesus assured all of God's children that God does vindicate the faithful resistors. Jesus himself will be with us in the fire when we also stand up for justice, for righteousness, when we refuse to be conformed to the patterns of this world. There are many forms that faithful resistance can take in our day and time. This morning I'll comment on just a few aspects of this particular book of Daniel that I think help flesh it out a little bit. I encourage you to think and pray about what parts of our culture you may feel called to resist maybe during Advent. Today's last word Sunday, when there's an opportunity to discuss these things after the service, perhaps the question for today can be, what does faithful resistance look like for us? First of all, we might notice that none of us here are exiles in the Babylonian Empire, obviously. And no one is asking us to bow down to a giant statue. But that doesn't mean that these issues are completely a thing of the past. Jewish activist and Holocaust survivor Elie Wiesel has written about seeing the fires of the crematoriums as he and his fellow Jews crowded into train cars and approached a concentration camp during World War II. So Wiesel reminds readers that we live in a world where neighbors continue to face the threat of eradication through fire and violence. That threat can come from something like a war in Ukraine or from gunfire on the streets of Chicago. And if Jesus, the Son of Man, stands with those who are in the fire, how might we be called to follow him there? To stand also alongside victims of violence and oppression. Meanwhile, the assimilation piece of this story also feels very present to me, particularly the Sunday after Thanksgiving. In her book, Native, that some of us have been reading, Caitlin Curtis writes about the deep pain that Native Americans feel this time of year. As the story of the settler pilgrims overshadows her people's long history of faithful resistance to empire. As a Potawatomi woman raised mostly off of a reservation, Curtis herself writes about how she had largely moved away from her native culture and the traditions of her ancestors, assuming that it was a matter of the distant past 
But later, by reconnecting with her community, she came to realize that she herself had been a part of ongoing assimilation that is still happening in the present. That every time Native Americans are portrayed in school or in movies or sports as relics from the 19th century, it feels as though her present-day people are being erased. I saw this problem myself the other week when I took my younger son and a couple of his friends to the Field Museum. There was a display there of a Native American roundhouse from Kansas, set up like it would have been during the settler colonial era. And a docent was inside explaining how how things worked. So we learned that the, the door to the roundhouse always faced east, and there was a religious shrine on the opposite wall. Well, at one point, the docent paused and asked the three fourth-grade boys, so do you think these Plains Indians are still around today? And all at the same time, the three of them shook their heads confidently and said, no. To which the docent responded, well, actually, you'd be wrong then. These nations are still very much here. They just don't often live in roundhouses anymore. And then in a different part of the exhibit, we saw displays of Native American life today on and off reservations made by people who are still around. We were reminded about how colonists had done everything they could to wipe out indigenous peoples on this continent, but Native peoples resisted. And God has been with them in the midst of the fire. Today, this faithful resistance continues through descendants like Caitlin Curtis and other members of her citizen Potawatomi nation. It involves reestablishing their culture in the present day, relearning the language, recovering a distinct style of dress, teaching indigenous religion and spirituality, protecting the water, protecting the earth, and reminding the world again and again that they are still here. Do you think that we, as followers of the risen Christ, are called to stand with indigenous peoples in this work of resistance? What would that look like? To be with them in the fire. Another aspect of this story that may feel a bit more present to us is, is also the sense in which these three men, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they were not only indigenous people in the midst of empire, but in a sense, they were immigrants as well. Having been brought from their homeland in Israel to the foreign land of Babylon, it wasn't their choice to emigrate. Of course, this was a forced migration. But once there... Babylon became these men's reality. And the people of Babylon probably did not care why they were there. They just saw these three men as foreigners. People who spoke a different language and practiced a different religion. Well, I noticed that we have a lot of immigrants in Chicagoland as well, don't we? (laughs) People from foreign lands who speak different languages and practice different religions For the most part, we too might not think a lot about why 
power, why they are here. Some come as refugees fleeing persecution. Others have migrated for economic reasons, perhaps because they face starvation in their countries of origin. And yet, when these immigrants arrive, they too face a firestorm of challenges. They're forced to learn a very difficult language and adapt to new customs of education and labor. They often start out with nothing, working two or three jobs in order to make ends meet, living six to a room, threatened by wage theft, deportation, racial profiling. For some of these people, it may be that their religious practice is all that they have left of their home culture. And so we see Muslims wearing burqas, trying to keep praying five times a day. Latin American Catholics celebrate El Dia de los Muertos in November and Las Posadas during Advent. The powers that be sometimes insist that these immigrants dial back their culture and assimilate But the immigrants resist. And the message of our scriptures again is that the Son of Man stands with them in that resistance. Jesus said to us that someday we will be judged for how we treat the strangers among us. To the good and faithful servants, Jesus will say, I was a stranger and you took me in. You welcomed me. You protected me. So what would it look like for us today to follow Jesus into the fire with the many immigrants in our land? Native peoples, immigrants. My third and final example of faithful resistance today is us. Because what about us, right? Those of us who don't identify as strangers so much. We know we can and should stand with those who are in the fire. That is part of an essential part of following Jesus. But this story also reminds us that God is very much with us in the midst of our everyday trials and tribulations as well. I thought about this a couple months ago when I was, I was texting with my sister about breathing smoky air. She lives in Washington State where for a week or so there was the worst air quality in the entire world because of wildfires in that region. Wildfires that have become a regular annual occurrence. In the midst of a a kind of smoke-induced quarantine, my sister texted about her family that it, it felt like the whole world was on fire. And I figure that pretty much covers it, doesn't it? Between climate change and COVID and vitriolic political rhetoric. Everywhere we look, it feels like people are struggling just to put out fires. In families, too, it can feel like going from one crisis to the next, from illness and grief and conflict. And yet, isn't this the very reason that God came to earth? This is what we celebrate at Christmas how Christ Jesus came to be born in the midst of our seemingly endless firestorm, to be in it with us, and to save us from perishing, 
The furnace, it just keeps on burning, hot, hot, hot. And yet the faithful are still able to stand, to walk around in the midst of it. Incidentally, do you notice how in this in this story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the Son of Man does not put out the fire? It's something to meditate on. How afterward the tyrant king Nebuchadnezzar, he's not dethroned either. He continues his reign of terror, and the Israelites continue in exile, oppressed. And yet the resistance of the faithful continues because the Son of Man stands with them. I often consider this quote attributed to John of the Cross. He was a persecuted mystic from the 16th century. This master of prayer wrote that the absolute love of God protects us from nothing, even as it sustains us in all things. I'll say that again. God protects us from nothing, but sustains us in all things. Have you ever thought of it that way? Can you imagine praying simply for the ability to persevere, to continue in faithful resistance? Friends, the fires of life will continue to threaten us. But our God is the one who sustains us in the midst of the fire. Whether we find ourselves in the hot seat for standing with our native and immigrant neighbors, or it's just everyday troubles that keep things up, still God will be with us. For God comes to dwell with us. Emmanuel, encouraging us, emboldening us, helping us to keep fighting the good fight and running the race, trusting that those who endure to the end shall be saved. This is our hope and our salvation. Amen.